0: Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we'll discuss how we can come to evoke meaningful change. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, and the Blueprint Men's Summit. He's also the president of media sales at BET Networks and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Today, we're sitting down with Renetta McCann, Renetta has had an impressive career in the leadership of Publix Group and has been the CEO and CTO of some of the agency's most iconic brands, all while pushing for diversity, inclusion, and equity. Today, we'll discuss current events, her experiences in leadership and business, and her advice to listeners. Let's get started.
1: As a woman who has had many firsts in their career, Renetta, what is it like seeing the first Black female president, the first. How do you feel about that, and what do you think it means to the country?
2: Um, it is eminently rewarding to see Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. The... What she will represent for the future... Of black and brown girls. I don't, I think we're all thinking we can imagine it, but I just think it'll be unimaginable. Um, I tend to believe, I, I tend to believe in the truism that you have to be able to see it to be it. Although I realize some people can just dream some other powerful dreams, but I think to watch. Um, a black woman go to work, and to go to work with such a terrific balance of excellence in what she does. So if you watched her, you know, in the Senate during the impeachment hearings, her questions, her logic, what she's done, I think that's one thing. So you have that excellence, but you also have a joy, right? You can feel her joy is palpable. Right, either dancing or her Chuck Taylor's or whatever she's wearing. And so I think she's going to end up giving broad based permission for the next level of how um, young women want to show up. And I am phenomenally glad that she's there. Um, And I understand what I'm going to say next is a political statement but I will continue to proudly wear my red and white and I do not intend to wear pink and green. So it's okay.
1: (laughs) Cute. So as a person, a female who've been in leadership, what would you suggest? How do we support her? Uh, She's gonna have some difficult roads ahead uh, based on where the country is. She's gonna have some tough decisions to make and and collaborate on how should uh people support her uh because you've been in that position yourself
2: yeah um so i'll give the i'll give the obvious right which is um, celebrating the things that she's doing well inviting her into conversations where she can make a difference um, you know, supporting whatever policies she's putting out there. I think the thing that people may not, and, and hopefully she has this mechanism herself, but the thing that people forget is that you have to have um, what I would call true feedback, right? Somebody in your corner who can tell you when, you know, you know, that wasn't quite right. Or here's where you missed it, right? So I'm I'm hoping, and I don't know that we as external people can do that, but I, I hope that she is astute enough, and from everything I know, she probably is, to have that. I mean, President Obama had that in Valerie Jarrett, right? And you can see that. But, but somebody who, who can give her the other side of the argument so that that she sees the full perspective. And other than that, I think we as citizens, we should bring our problems and solutions to her in the way we need to and engage her in dialogue and keep going that way.
1: Uh, Our inaugural issue comes out in February of 21, which is Black History Month. When you look back over 2020, COVID-19, social uprising, and the presidential election, what will that history look like for black people?
2: I think it's going to look like a couple of things. I think this has been a year of incredible pain and suffering for black people. Um, to know that Um, the system was structured so that when the pandemic hit, you might be allowed to die simply because of where you lived or the job you had as an essential worker or, or heaven forbid, um, just simply the color of your skin, right, to see all those factors come to fruition. Then to have it compounded by the murders of Breonna Taylor, George, Floyd, Ahmad Arbery, right and others, right? Jacob Blake. We see that and and speaking for myself, right, it's a doubling down on you know, well if you're black, mm, no, we don't really mean that for you, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's another layer of pain. And then I think in the election It's to, once again, understand all the hurdles that were thrown in our way in terms of pretty much open voter suppression, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'll even throw in post-election, Lewis, if if the first three things, you know, I I would say the first three things had me livid. This last one has just had me infuriated. Right. So now you're telling me that you're going to go to Atlanta, Milwaukee, Philadelphia and Detroit. Hmm, What's common about those cities and Mm -hmm. and what one group of people are trying to do there, which is just another invalidation of us as a people. And, um, you know, I, I I don't think I'll ever get that 2 minute doc rivers video out of my mind because i think he asked the fundamental question mm-hmm. of we love this country so much and it has been built on our backs um, but it doesn't love us and and that is that is just a that's just an existential level of st- stuff and pain to deal with having said that yes yes to black creativity yes to black resilience yes to Stacey abrams all day long because she said okay y'all beat me last time i ain't gonna get mad i'm just gonna get even and she turned georgia blue and she didn't go away. Um, it'll sound a little, you know, it may sound kind of comical or irrelevant. But even, even the, the women of the strip clubs in Atlanta doing their thing, right? It's all of us coming together in the ways we needed to in order to make sure that our voices were heard. And that resilience, that whatever you wanna call it, that emerged too this year. And so I think 2020 is the year of black pain meets black voice, if you will. The other thing that I will say um, and you and I are the same age, and so we sort of grew up in the same world, and I mean, to some degree, right? It's that all of a lot of the things that I would try to tell my white colleagues about that really does happen, they usually get labeled under microaggressions. I think all of those things were fully on stage in 2020. Right? So from people... Choosing not to call vice president-elect Kamala Harris by her name, right? To voter suppression, to outright murder. We saw it all, and and our white colleagues saw it too. And as the saying goes, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know exactly where it goes from here. But I do know that things have been put on the table in a way that I don't think I've seen in our lifetimes yet. And I think that's a good thing, although I don't know where it's gonna go.
1: So sticking with the election. Yep. We saw this election uh, energize, motivate and inspire black and brown young people like never before. What do we need to do to keep that energy and focus going for the foreseeable future?
2: So I think this, um, I'll give you the heads and tails of it, right? I think for a lot of reasons, the news and the news media, there's, there's a certain energy around motivating people by what they could lose, right? hmm Um, or what could be taken away from them. And, And I get that. And I think that was present this year where I think young people can always take it is the flip side of that is where's the hope? What dreams do they have? And how can they keep achieving those dreams? And I think if we can, activate young people to do both the dream part as well as, you know, what might keep you, um, you know, the barriers to those dreams, we, we might be able to keep them activated in that real way. But they did show up because they, they want, best I can tell, they want the America the dream. They want the best of what America can be. And I'm so glad that they're there because I think I, I think a lot of us who are older, we did what we could, but I just think they have I just think they have phenomenal ways of addressing this. I mean, the whole mobilization of, you know, K pop fans on TikTok is just amazing and 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 they sort of understand the social dynamic in a way that hopefully will allow them to use that for their benefit so that's what i would say to them keep the dream present and understand the barriers and and sort of work both sides of you know both sides of that
1: the events of 2020 uh has made corporate america talk more about diversity and inclusion uh, than ever before. Do you believe it's noise or that something really is going to change this time?
2: Um, I think it's E all of the above, to be honest. And, you know, I don't, I'm going to try to I'm gonna avoid putting any bad joss or bad ideas out there, right? I, I don't, I don't want to call it that way. Um, it might be. I'm, I'm gonna boil it down to something simple. I hope it's not simplistic. When we get into diversity, equity, inclusion, and I even throw in justice, right? I think inherently all roads, for the most part, all roads in that conversation ultimately lead to power. Who has power over resources? Who has power over funding? Who has power over who will lead organizations? And I think in order to make extraordinary or exponential progress, we have to have dramatic and meaningful power shifts, right? Where people of privilege, status, hierarchy, willingly and publicly give up their power to other people whose ideas and voices need to be heard. And so if that's the ultimate in progress, there'll be some who'll play in an exponential way There are some who'll play in a sort of geometric way, a little bit of a lift. Some will play, you know, one and one, I'll get, still get two. And then because we've seen it and we can't ignore it because we're seeing it right now, there are those who are going to play so that there's a minus sign in front of whatever that factor is. We, We know that, right? And so <clears throat> that's why I say e all of the above. But I think fundamentally what we're dealing with is who has power, who doesn't have power, have power, how that power gets distributed, and to what outcomes and ends.
1: This journal is called Waymaker. When you think back, who were the waymakers in your life to help you get to? the highs that you've got through over your career?
2: Um, I'm going to, I'm going to start with um, my family and I'm, I'm going to start with them as a unit <clears throat> and I can, I can pick out ones, but um, they sort of right or wrong. They sort of instilled in me that I could be whatever I wanted to be right now actually the most I wanted to be was a lawyer and I didn't become a lawyer I still <laughs> could but I'm, I'm probably not right but in terms of you know they didn't make me boundary my dreams or my possibilities right so I, I think having a supportive system around you um I have to give credit to the vibrant black advertising community that's in Chicago, even though I always worked on the general market side, to know that there's a Tom Burrell here, a Vince Colors and Eugene Morris. Right. Carol H. Williams is here for a while. She, in fact, she interviewed me and got me into Burnett, right? A Don Richards, there are people before Emma Young, the whole thing. I think that group of um, practitioners who are probably half a generation to one generation ahead of me, they, they, just, they just work that soil, right? Then I think I was fortunate to have um, a group of colleagues who were pushing on it in, in lots of different directions. So there's you, right? There's Kevin Newell. There's Mike Hall. There's Faye Ferguson, who started, you know, me, Mike, Faye, started Burnett at the same time. You know, a Deb Smith, Zaleen, Kelly Bates, right? I There's just this peer set I have. And we're all sort of doing different things, but we're doing the things. Mm-hmm. Right? And we're we're all connected. And then and then I think eventually um I do get to work with those who are coming behind me. Right? So you do get a Ronnie Dickerson steward, you you do get a Corey Richardson. You get a James Harvey. You you just get all these people. And, and I'll only get in trouble by naming names, right? Because I, I just know too many of them. But a Karen Coleman, if you will, right? And all these people. And watching them do what's possible for their, um, from where they are. So... I, I just think it's, you know, two generations of waymakers before me, one that's traveling with me, and then the ones who are behind and still pushing, right?
1: So March is, is Women's History Month. And uh, I, I think that in the past, we've not focused on Black women uh, in that particular month. But clearly today, where you have so many Black women who have risen to prominence, we've we've got to really embrace our arms around it, similar to what we do with Black History Month. Who are the three women, Black women, that you think has had the most impact on America? Uh, Ooh, on America. On America. Okay.
2: America. Mm. Hmm. Hmm because i didn't okay um that's right that's really hard to answer right so i i won't say the most because that'll that'll just end up being debatable right um but i will it's like like michael and lebron yeah well no, no, it's not like michael and lebron it's it's the twenty three with the bull's head on there there is no debate on that one people need to stop debating. the sun comes up in the east Michael Jordan was the best. Come on anyway, um, I would probably pick um and they're a little bit more contemporary. I would pick Ida B Wells. Um, because of how she used her voice to shine the light on things that weren't right. Mm-hmm. Um, lynchings in the South, um, the decision not to allow Black women to benefit from, um, voting you know, the 19th Amendment in 1920, you know, women getting the right to vote, whatever. Um, Just calling things the way she saw it at a time, you know, 1920s, 1930s, that that still had to be so dangerous. And to be a black woman out there, sort of by yourself, you know, speaking, just fundamentally speaking truth to power, um, I'd I'd have to put Ida B. Wells up there. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll sense my theme. Another woman that I would give immense credit to, and, and most people wouldn't—I I don't know that they—they they wouldn't put her in this context. I would say it's, it's Billie Holiday. Um, she had a creative, and so I—I I use her as the exemplar for all the black women of that period who were just creative geniuses. So the fact that she, she used her voice as if it was a musical instrument itself. Mm-hmm. That that's powerful. But Strange Fruit and what she's singing about, right? She's singing about her life and times and, and the blues. I I think, and it's not what we and and I think her companion on that road would be Zora Neale Hurston, right? That these ultimately just really you know, bright, creative Black women who are just telling, once again, telling the truth about their experiences. I think with Billy, I think we get to see, for Black women who wear that mantle, how heavy that mantle can be and and what the personal costs of it are, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not all, you know, sunshine and light. The third person i would point to is another rarer individual but barbara jordan um from state of texas she's one of the reasons i wanted to be a lawyer i'm i'm watching her as i'm growing up as a young woman right so you and i are in high school when barbara's doing her thing right so who do I have my eye on, right? And for her to, you know, at a time in this country where they weren't used to seeing Black women in government, and you could easily pick Shirley Chisholm, right? But but mm-hmm. I'm picking Barbara Jordan because the reason I'm picking Barbara Jordan, right? But to, to use the force of law and then moral imperative to insist that justice show up in that moment, she was speaking truth to power. So, as you can tell, I'm biased towards Black women
1: who speak truth to power. Okay. You've had an amazing career. Yep, I what have. What do you want your legacy to be?
2: Ah, Lewis. So this one gets really tricky for me. Um, and I'm going to parse it because... Actually, I don't think I get to set my legacy. I think just like reputation, legacy is set by those around you, how people describe your career, right? So I would, one way I'd answer that is very early in in my career career. And I tell this a lot because it's true, and it is true. Very early in my career, I I had to make the decision. I chose to make the decision to operate in a way that would help ensure that more people who look like me, who came from the places like me, like you, that we would get to partake in this industry. That was my goal. That's, That's what I'm pushing for, and I'm doing my work, and I'm doing that thing. And I am immensely, I am just not even immensely proud. I'm truly touched when the people who, um, you know, who emerge, who say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if she hadn't done something even a little something, right? And so every time somebody shows up who I know, you know, my job was to make things possible for people who I didn't know and hadn't met. And if you think about how long I've been doing this, you know, I, my career is older than some of the people working in our com- companies, right? And so to, to make room for people who hadn't even been born yet. Um, so anytime they show up, I, I'm proud of that, but I, I fundamentally believe your legacy is, is written by the people who whose lives you've touched. and I'm you know what, Lewis,'m I'm, I'm willing to leave it in their hands.
1: Okay. Final question, and I would be remiss if not ask you this after the career like you've had. What are the top things, three things? that you believe you need to do to create a great blueprint for success in corporate America?
2: Um, I'm going to try to hold myself to three. I For everybody, but I think especially for Black people, I think you've got to know yourself. I think you've... It's... For black people in corporate America, I think we just have to know more about ourselves, about how we tick, what motivates us, what we're willing, you know, what our never negotiate non-negotiables are and what our negotiables are in terms of identity or what we need, et cetera. I, I just think there's something fundamental about knowing yourself. Um, the and, and, second, and once
1: you know yourself, what are you to do with that?
2: Um, I think you, you find ways to make sure that the best of you can emerge in order to drive impact. And it's, it's my surrogate. Well, I have two and it'll come back up in my second one, but knowing yourself is partially a partial surrogate for having focus, right? And if you're trying to figure out who you are and whatever, you become a distraction to you. So, you know, understand yourself enough that you don't distract yourself, and, and I've, I've, I have distracted myself. So all of my lessons, Lewis, are things that I've lived through. It's not, you know, like made up, airy-fairy, read from a book. Um, the second thing is to play for something larger than yourself. I, I, and, and it doesn't have to be fantastically larger. You don't have to save the world, Right. But you do have to play for something larger than yourself because on the days when the people and the systems come to get you and they will, because they're going to go, oh, oh, she's here to redistribute power. Oh, that child over there, she's speaking truth. Pa- what, what is she over there doing? We got it. When they come for you. And, and actually, it's a, it's a badge of honor that they come for you, because that means you're like trying to do something. But when they come for you, you've got to have that reason why you're going to ignore that. It's, it's like great wide receivers who catch the ball anyway, even though they're, they know they're going to get hit by them safeties and linemen. And forgive me, I clean up my NFL if it's not all right. But you know what I'm saying, right? You're going to catch that ball anyway. And you know you're going to get hit, but you're going to catch that ball. Cause Patrick threw it to you. You gonna catch that ball? Um, the third one is, and and this one is probably it's totally intuitive now in my career. But I don't know, maybe twenty years ago in my career, it wasn't as intuitive. Um, it's never about the failure, it's always about the recovery. So as the Chinese say, fall down eight times, get up nine. It is never about those first eight, it is always about number
1: nine.
0: Thank you, this has been amazing like
1: I knew it would be.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Renetta McCann. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. And don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.